Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Pitch Masters with me, your host, Danny Fontaine. This week I speak to one of the biggest influences of my pitching career, Oren Claff. Now, Oren pitches for real every day, raising huge amounts of investment capital, and he wins deals using his own methods, which are all outlined in his best-selling book, Pitch Anything. Now, we talk about a lot of topics, swagger, making money, persuasion, human behavior, capital markets, Anthony Scaramucci, Cognitive psychology, power, hierarchies and statuses, billionaires and valets and values, negotiating, and we even do some role play. There is so much in there. Warning, there is some fairly explicit language throughout this episode, but if you're okay with that, then grab a drink, sit back and get ready to take some notes. Oren Claff, what an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. I've been wanting to speak to you for a long time now. But before I say anything Everybody else... Everybody says that in the first three <laughs> minutes, right? You ask them 60 minutes later how, how what where the pleasure was, and uh, the pleasure was all yours. <laughs> oh, well, that doesn't fill me with uh, too much optimism. But, <laughs> ah, well... <laughs> now, uh, some people might know who you are, the people in the know. Some might not. So before I say anything about you, how do you pitch yourself? Yeah, so <laughs> so, so uh, the reality is I have a pretty big platform. So if, people, if I get on a call and somebody goes, hey, Danny, you're a great guy. Uh, tell me about yourself. I will say, I'm sorry, right? You came to a call in which you wanted to talk about capitalizing your company with 10, 15, $20 million, right? Danny introduced you to someone who he feels has a good, uh, uh, can, can be add to that process and maybe give you a good shot at an easy run, low cost, quick turn on $10 million. But you didn't want to type that person's name in the internet. It's just like, is that where we are? The, the reality is that like, if you just type in O in the Google bar, the rest of it will just fill out Orrin Claff and then half the internet is about me. And then you don't have to come to the call and go, tell me about yourself. So, uh, that's a reality and, and, and we'll land the plane further out, like how you get to that point. Sure. Right? But it's just better if people come up through what you call the funnel. Yeah. If they rebook, if they engage in some media and they go, fuck. That is a very nice person. He seems to be really good at what he does. And we have this problem, right? I'm from, we've tried some of the stuff that uh, Warren talks about and suggests, and it works, right? What if we could have him work on our project? That would be a lot of fun. We probably all make a lot of money and it would be easy and be a good relationship. Let's all talk about how to make that happen, right? And then I can have that conversation, but the reason I come on podcasts like this, you know, I, I, you saw before, I have a $2 million studio. Yeah. Why? To look good, sound good, be professional, and attract people to working with a professional who knows what he's doing. And so much better that I don't have to explain myself and people come in experientially and go, wow, you know, I have an idea of how we could work together. Let me run it by you and see if the economics work. It just uh, and and I think in today's 
you know, in today's world, the, the frustration of getting on a call for me is too high mm. of saying like, Hey, tell me about yourself. Right. And then, and then, and then starting your origin story from a dead, cold, blank slate right. is, um, is, uh, it's doable. We train people how to do it. I help CEOs do it. It is just not a desirable or admirable starting point for a conversation. You want people to come and say, Hey, Danny, fuck, I've been listening to the podcast. Like, and I, I know that, you know, if we could do something together, I would be in, you know, give me a number. I'll see if it works for me, but let's do something together. That would be a great starting point for a conversation. You know, not, um, tell us about yourself. That said, I will tell you, I, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you about myself. What, what, what else are we going to do with our time together? No, exactly. Right. I was a cog in the wheel of the capital, the financial markets, capital markets. You know, what, what's funny is if you, if you come, um, to a podcast like this and you hear people throw around like, Oh, I raised a hundred million dollars or I worked on a, in my career, I did a billion dollars. Yeah, motherfucker. There's someone at BlackRock right now who's starting from not knowing what he's going to do today will close a billion dollars this afternoon. So fuck off with your billion dollar career, whatever. It has to be in context, mm. right? So for me, I've done a billion dollars of looking in the whites of the eyes of investors and collecting checks, $350,000, $500,000, $750,000, $70,000 at a time. Not ashamed with all the experience I have of even today asking people for a $100,000 ticket. You know, we could talk about why, sure. you know, or staff who, you know, can raise $20 million for the right project, you know, pr pretty efficiently would be willing to talk to people about $100,000. And there, there's reason for that. Hmm. Not the least of which being keeping the knife sharp. But I just worked in the, it, as a cog in the gears of the capital markets. So again, when you hear somebody say, oh, I did $100 million, like in what context? Um, and so I, my partner would get deals. Uh, he would uh, um, get the debt lined up. You know, so 60, 70% of a $20 million asset, he would get debt locked up. And it was my job to go get the equity before the debt commitment expired. If that makes any sense. Yes, sir. So- so, so he would go in 30 days, go get me $8 million. I'm like, well, that takes six or seven people, 90 days. Right. He's like, I don't care. Right. If you want to make any money, then go get me $8 million and you have 30 days. It was a very unfair proposition. Um, but eventually I learned how to do it. And so, uh, in two, th when 2008, you know, turned and, uh, everything got slow. I ended up writing this book about some of my experiences. Right. Uh, and so the 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 publisher with McGraw Hill, my agent, uh, Kirsten, called me up and the book came out and she's like, what are you doing to promote the book? Right. And I said, I, I don't know. I'm waiting for people to read it. What am I right. supposed to do? Supposed to do is you're supposed to drive to um, uh, bookstores. Right. And do book signings and they'll go, hey, Orrin Claff right. wrote. Pitching. Right. And then uh, I'm like, I, you mean like drive the hollywood and sit in a, like a bookstore and have some like creepy people i don't know as like i'm the book I, like i have things to do she's like yes exactly go to kansas city go to kissimmee florida go to marietta georgia go to southie boston go to fucking the dark side of the moon but move your butt right and start selling some books she goes even william shatner does book signings oh yeah 
right? I said, Kirsten, William Shatner should have written a good book. <laughs> so uh, I didn't do any of that. Uh, but eventually, you know, the book caught a, caught a wind and people loved it. And because it, you, you can read the book and then you can go do the things in the book yeah. and it worked. And so, uh, so now in today, like if I go to an investment bank you know, on, a, on a $10 million transaction, small investment bank, you know, there'll be like 20 people will pour in the room. I'm like, hey guys, I don't think we need 20 analysts on this $10 million deal. And they'll go, no, 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 no. They're just here to get their book signed. So, <laughs> that, uh, um, you know, I, I wrote the book. People love it. It's changed lives and uh, it's changed my life for sure. And the, the things in Pitch Anything, I think today are the standard in Silicon Valley, in, in, um, uh, in, the, in, you know, in the capital markets on the East Coast. Uh, it, it is a brand of West Coast finance is what I would call it. Um, but it helps people get themselves into capital raising situations where the control is not in the hands of the other party, right? And so when you are asking for capital, but you're not in control of the capital raising process, you don't have an architecture, you don't have a blueprint, you don't know what you're looking at, you don't know how to respond, and you subordinate yourself to the people who know what they're doing, the outcome is always bad for you, right? The goal of people with capital is get the most amount of the cap table, the most amount of the uh, equity stack, um, the most amount of control for themselves with the least amount of money. And so knowing that that is their objective, how do you preserve your cap table, your position in the company, your autonomy, your independence, and your ability to maintain uh, uh, your path as a founder-led company and grow the company you want to grow? And so I would summarize it as this. Without pitch anything, the last day you will enjoy working at your company is the first day you take professional capital. Pitch anything, da-da-da-da, it steps in and comes to the rescue in preventing that from happening. So that, I think, is one lens or one frame on who I am and what I do. I like that a lot. And let's just touch on this one thing really quickly that we talked very briefly about before I hit record. Why haven't you thought, I'm just going to become an author and I'm going to sit back and make money in my sleep from selling education courses and building an academy of sales experts and pitch anything experts? So the reality is today, if you want to become an expert authority, and I will unpack what that means, right? And you want to have scale, you want to have conferences, you want to have those photos where cheering people, you know, there's there's lights behind you and people are cheering uh, and there's a big audience and your name is up in lights. You have to tell people they will get rich quick. Right. So if somewhere deep down in your moral fabric, in the DNA of your ethical framework, somewhere your parents instilled in you some sense of, of uh, you know, wanting to hold your head high through the arc of your career and end up in a place where you built stuff of sustainable value and your name is considered to, uh, as it's written in the books of time, to be considered someone who left this place better than uh, uh, you know when they came to it, you will not run a program that tells the masses that they will get rich quick 
by following your 9, 17, 67, 348, 1017, or three easy steps. There is no fucking easy button. And so the, 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 um, at, at some point you have to understand if you want to, uh, get into media, if you want people to see your ads, click on it, you know, for Facebook to approve them and for you to get high conversion rates and be able to go into different affiliate markets and you want to scale that up and you want to run a quote unquote, you know, 29 comma click funnel, you have to tell people they're going to get instantly happy, get rich quick and make money by accidentally sitting on the easy button. And so if you decide I, I'm not willing to do that, uh, then you, um, you know, you have to think about how, where, who can I add value to? What am I passionate about? What do I enjoy doing? And where, you know, if people come into my ecosystem and learn stuff, they can be successful with it. And we can have a, 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 um, uh, I can, I can preserve the value of my name. And so for me, uh, the books stand on their own, you know, people love them. They're part of American and, and really you know, maybe European mm. popular cult. So we hire people. And unfortunately now the book's been out for a while. And they go, Oh, this is my dad's favorite book. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not a bad thing. Uh, though, right. Right. <laughs> uh, so, so like today I was going to come back to it. Like, you know, for sure we, I send out emails, we write emails and we yeah. say, Hey, look, um, uh, we're running a, we're starting a program. You know, it starts on July 18th, you know, click here to, uh, get involved and you click and you just go to an invoice, right? right? So our landing page is the payment, right? If you, if you have read the book, you had heard gospel of what I talk about, which is protecting the cap table, um, avoiding you know, toxic minority control, institutional investors, being able to raise the capital you need. I'm not going out and just raising capital in, instantly when you need it, but being a full-time capital raising CEO from raising uh, the capital you need at a valuation that protects the cap table and not being subordinate to, um, to, to having to march up Sand Hill Road and beg for money. If you like that messaging and want to learn, you know, the map to money, right? Then you click here, you pay a couple dollars and you come learn the map to money. Happy to show you to do it. We know it works. Mm -hmm. you know, we just started a cohort uh, yesterday and we go, these are all the steps, right? The, the, the four points of failure um, of, you know, uh, and I think this is the reason people fail with Oren Claps map to money using pitch anything is they have built themselves a system of swagger, right? There is more swagger than there is ability. And I think that is, a, in, at least in America, uh, a lot of the capital raising attempts that go out and either fail or, you know, uh, uh, fail because they don't achieve, you know, they, they raise money, but at what valuation and what terms, right? So I would call that a, a failure. You know, if you give away two board seats, um, liquidation preferences and, and minority control rights for $3 million, you know, some people get a win because we got $3 million and we would look at that as a failure because what, what have you accomplished? You gave right. the company away. Raise money, you gave the company away. Um, so, so I feel like a lot uh, of that kind of capital raising is done with swagger, but underneath it, there's just toothpicks holding up the whole thing. Right. Right. So 
if you believe, because entrepreneurs got to where they are today, um, many of them using charisma, using swagger, right. you know, acting Elon Musky, and and that works up to a level, right? But at some point, you're going to meet people who know what they're doing. You need people to write real checks. You're going to have to understand a fully diluted cap table. You have to understand what security you're selling. You have to go talk to people who will introduce you. We got to come back to that who will be willing to introduce you to money. Mm. And I don't want to introduce, I run a country club for money. Inside my country club is, you know, six or $7 billion. You, Danny, run a country club for money, right? So you, uh, the problem, so, so people are like, hey, Danny, you know, why don't you uh, help me raise me? And you go, well, sure, I run a country club for money, but you're the guy who's like coming in the country club, you got like ripped jeans, right? You got a uh, ACDC sweatshirt on. Uh, you're like, oh, free shrimp, and you're stuffing shrimp in your pocket, you know, for lunch later. Yeah. The bar is, oh, open bar. You're drinking two IPAs quickly, and then sticking two under your arm, and you're walking around talking loudly on your, uh, uh, you know, on your phone in speaker mode. And then you're going up to people like, hey, would you like to hear my deal? If I right. let you in my country club for money, you're gonna run around and embarrass me. And so. People are used to sort of living on charisma and swagger, but they don't know how to behave in the money country club. Mm. And so uh, swagger is one people reason people, people fail. I think um, the other thing is like I have – I've been doing this for 25 years. I have something that works, not something that worked 15 years ago, but something that worked this morning. I right. raised one and a half million dollars this morning, like this actual morning. Not right. the, I, so so um, the system I have works. If you want to change the system, like something you learned from Tony Robbins, something you learned from Medium, a YouTube video you want, and then you want to pick and choose and create some Frankenstein system, mm. um, you know, and use some of the swagger you have, some of the articles you read, uh, and and then you uh, yeah, and, and you want to change my system, then it doesn't work. The reason I tell people to take these steps because I did it this morning and it worked. Right. Right. So, uh, so for example, I did a podcast not unlike this with um, one of the the titans of psychological persuasion books. Don't want to name names because um, there's no point in trying to make other people feel bad. Or, sure. I don't know if they care. But um, so so you know w when I talk to those guys. You know, you know, the, the, the Harvard guys who write, um, uh, you know, six steps to persuasion yeah, yeah. or or whatever. But with their university credentials, they go, look, the problem with you guys is this. Right. You take 12 college students and you give six of them a coffee cup and they write their name on it and draw a picture on it. Right. You give six of them and they don't write anything on it. And you come back right, uh, uh, four weeks later and you try and buy those coffee cups and the six students that wrote their name on it. You know, want to sell it to you for $18 and the six students that didn't write their name on it and have anything on it are willing to uh, give it away for $1. What the fuck am I supposed to do with this psychological inference? I have to walk into rooms with billionaires. Right. Right. And, and, and um, the fact that somebody, a college student wants to sell it, like, I, yes, there are lessons in there. There are deep psychological, inferential, human level, um, you know, how did we transfer from apes to being 
uh, cognitive thinkers and how do people process information through the depths of their mind. Those insights are important. But also, I have to look in the eyes of a billionaire and ask him for $15 million, right? And so the things that you actually do out of experience in those environments um, cannot come out of theoretical cognitive research, um, you know, unless you do. So, so those, those, those are good foundational ideas that they, that the, the college professors write about. So my mom, uh, you know, my mom is, uh, uh, my parents came, she's a, she's a clinical psychologist. Mm -hmm. My parent, my dad's a, a, a sociologist. They came from South Africa, um, made Aliyah to Israel. And so they follow a lot of these Israeli like Nobel prize winners and, you know, like, so they'll go, oh, you know, that uh, Noam Traversky or right. whatever, you know, learned that that uh, uh, loss aversion, right? I'm like, great. You know, I'm so glad he got the Nobel Prize for the fucking most obvious thing, ever, you know, that I have to do every single day on every single phone call. Right. FOMO and hype. You can right. call a loss aversion. You can get a Nobel Prize for it. Right. But come do it. Right. In real time, asking for checks and getting wires. And so uh, the the for me, uh, you know, I, I have a system that cannot be dorked with and you cannot go read cognitive science, pop psychology and start to drop that stuff into the system that I have that works. Uh, so so, um, you know, and, and to write a book. You know, the, the books, um, I, I, I feel like, uh, so Jeb Blunt has 15 books, 25 Some, books. Yeah. About 15, I think. Thousand and, yeah. 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 A thousand, 1875 books. Right. I'm like, Jeb, stop writing books. Okay. <laughs> There's not that much news. So when I, when I sit down to write a book, I said my, my threshold, you know, and I, I wrote my book, you know, I, it was 40, 45 years old, right? So not, not a 24 year old, sure. you know, um, with a bulky notebook and a fountain pen and, you know, right. you know, coffee takes, tastes sweeter in the morning with my, with the, with the voice of my love in the air. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm past clouds and rainbow and skittles mm -hmm. and I'm like I'm live now living in reality. So I sat down with the book and I said, for this book to have any meaning in the world, I have to be able to write about things that nobody else has written about before right and i believe that's what malcolm gladwell you know really staked his claim is he right. chose really interesting things because if you read books on sales if you read mo books on persuasion if you read books on capital markets everybody just writes the thing that the person on the left wrote with two different words right right uh and i said i'm just not going to do that because it won't uh, i have a boy now I want to leave. I really hadn't accomplished anything, you know, of meaning in my life. And I've said this, this book contract is a, is a way to accomplish something that has meaning to it. I'm not going to write anything that has been written before. Matter of fact, I wrote a chapter that I thought was amazing. And then I read something, uh, an old Malcolm Gladwell article, and he kind of like hit the same subject. Right. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Scrap chapter it. gone. Yeah. You know, but if I can't, if I don't have integrity to that, uh, and that was actually really painful for me. Um, when I did that, I was, I was, I wouldn't say depressed, but I was, uh, certainly like the, this is a long process writing a book. Um, right. and, and, and so, um, a friend of mine, 
you know, it's like basically threw a month away. And he's like, you know, he came by and he left a large check in my bag. He's like, just go redo that month. Right. This is this is to make up so you don't feel the the financial pressure of having thrown that month away. Do the book right. The book will know when it's done. And then there's another thing that happened. Like so so yeah, you can say, uh, you know, uh, uh, you can get a publisher contract, or you can say I'm going to self publish a book. It's going to be out in six weeks or eight weeks. Yeah, good fucking luck, right? Like so so I um I were a little bit off off pitching tangent now, but uh you know we we start talking about content. Uh, I have a good friend who's a screenwriter, right? And he wrote Collateral Damage. He wrote The Hunted, which starred Benicio del Toro. And yeah. He's you know written some of the the the, the epic movies of our time uh, that you would be familiar with. And we used to have lunch when we lived in West Hollywood. Uh, and I and I went and had lunch with him. And I said I wrote I said Dave, I'm gonna have the book done in like five weeks ahead of schedule. <laughs> I wrote two thousand words yesterday. Right. You know, I had my little word count. Yeah, yeah. Right. And the fill in and everything like that. He goes, That's amazing, Oren. Right. You wrote two thousand words yesterday? I go, Yeah, I did. Like I'm I'm sailing into this thing. This is like going great. He goes, Two thousand words yesterday. That's that's amazing. Hey, I have one good recommendation for you. I go, What? He goes, Go back and read them. Right. Two thousand words is not of publishable publishable material to stand the test of time and impose on people the experience, the strength of ideas and the, the, the critical thinking that you have in your life is not writable 2000 words in a day. It's like, and if you really look like, like Hemingway and the, you know, the Mm. the, the Malcolm Gladwell and the great writers, they aspire to three, 400 words a day, but not every day. And it's exhausting to put out that much. So, um, yeah, so the reason I'm not an author is because I don't want to put out, you know, 35 books on nothing. When another book, uh, just just one last quick thing. So so my book was due, I flipped the script yeah. um, to the publisher, and they're like, it's overdue. And I was sitting at the laptop. We were in um, the Mondrian in Beverly Hills uh, on a, a little family trip. I was, you know, writing at night, finished it up, getting ready to press send. I met like Asher was, I'm like, Hey, I want you to have the, uh, the honor of submitting the book. Just press send on it. And I go, wait, wait, hey, you know, just before you hit send, I go, it's not done. So I call my agent. I go, I'm not, I'm not submitting it today. They're like, you are past your deadline. Like just submit what you have. And I never forget what I said to her. The book will know when it's done. And she's like, wow, that's deep. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, just send me whatever you have. I don't care, right? This is a quarter million dollar thing. Like, you know, it's like, don't spout to me Buddha, right? Yeah. And like, I'm like, I, I say, Kirsten, the book will know when it's done. And she's, she, you know, she's a, a Manhattan-based, New York, high-speed, uh, uh, um, high-end agent. You know, the Prince, Prince was her client. And she's like, what in the living fuck are you talking about? The book, like, don't give me that shit, right? Some, some smoke and mirrors moving around rubber tanks. Send me the book. I'm like, no. So, so that, that is the world's longest answer to, um, you know, why don't you just pump out a bunch of content? Where are you going to get good content to pump out? Write something that will stand the test of time, that will move people from where they are to uh, uh, where where they want to be and have your name written 
in stone in the book of life, as opposed to writing, you know, 75 books that accomplish nothing. Right. So I, what do you want? You know, it depends what you want out of life. Um, and, and, and so, uh, but I can tell you if you're publishing all those books and you want big media attention, you will have to tell people that they will achieve success quickly. And then you will be lying or misleading some amount of people and more than one is probably too many. Yeah. Well, I agree with that, but what your book or your books do do they they don't necessarily give you the formula to get rich quick, but like you've mentioned a few times, they give you a formula that works. And one, one thing I want to kind of clear up is I'm not in the world of raising capital. I'm in a completely different world altogether, but I use the same techniques and methods from your book and it, and it works. And what do you think about using it in completely different contexts? And do you have much experience yourself using it in other contexts? Yeah, sure. So, so things that work in raising money. Um, and I think this is, this is why the book was meaningful or the content is meaningful because raising money is at the, the absolute raw razor's edge of human interaction. Mm. The thing about it is war. So if you read On War by Clausewitz, you know, it's interesting because it it uh, evaluates the, it exposes, pulls back human nature at the, you know, at its rawest, most uh, a survivalist edge and how people will behave when their lives of themselves and their families and their nations are on the line. That's why On War is interesting. And below that, pitch anything because it shows how people behave um, when money is on the line, right? And money um, is uh, invokes a deep uh, um, behavioral response, which is interesting. Um, and so you see that it's rawest edge and it's most highest frequency. So now, if you go back and you talk about sales, if you talk about human interaction. The less you learn the lessons when it's around money, we can talk about some examples, but those same lessons apply in lower stakes right. situations. Right. Right. So the thing about money is the stakes are high. So everybody's on edge and the, um, and the wins and the losses are very visceral and, and felt deeply, but the, um, the lessons can be pulled back and applied in everyday situations. So if like, if we talk practically about what that means, um, every once in a while I get dumped on the line with a billionaire or somebody manages um, a, a perf, here's a better example. I had a podcast, uh, we'll come back to the billionaires. Um, I had a podcast with Anthony Scaramucci, the, uh, who was the director of communications for the Trump White House for like 11 yeah. days. Yeah. You know, some you can say, hey, you know, laughing stock of Fox News, you know, not not really. I mean, the guy graduated from Hol Goldman Sachs, you know, runs a uh, multi-billion dollar hedge fund, um, worked for Goldman Sachs twice, was in, you know, the was in the White House in the United States of America. He's, he's, the guy's not a joke, right? Um, pretty serious guy, high net worth, you know, managing a pretty serious uh, private equity and hedge fund. So anyway, uh, and 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 is on the news networks frequently. So I got a podcast with him and I just know what he doesn't know who Warren Claff is. Like right. he's not at that reading books, you know, and he's, 
He's he's working on the world stage and really in um, New York, uh, a sort of high level finance. So and so, what's happened is his publisher, you know, his PR agent has been like, "Hey, you have to do this podcast. I booked it for you." You know, so literally, I get on it, and and you know, he's turned away. He turns his head, and I go, um, "Followers of this podcast, I'm oh my god, I'm so excited today. I can't believe I have the opportunity. I'm just like, uh, I'm I'm a little bit um, nervous." I have a guest here today that I never thought I would even like, you know, be able to get in this little podcast. I'm so excited. I'm a little bit, uh, you know, trepidation to introduce to you Kathy Wood from ArcFest. And he goes, whoa, hey, what? Huh? Well, I'm not Kathy Wood. I go, I don't, who the fuck are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm Anthony Scaramucci. I'm like, Anthony Scaramucci, I think I got a piece of paper on him. Right. And I go, um, you know, I just, I had a couple of celebrities listed on it, you know, just for the yeah. sake of like Brad Pitt or Aniston. And I'm, it's not even on my list. What do you do? He's like, I'm the mooch. I'm the mooch. I'm like, the mooch. Why is that? I, I go, hey, Cassandra, you know the mooch? Right. And she's like, ah, oh, it's Anthony's getting the mooch. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, hey. Well, welcome. Uh, I guess. What do you, hey, nice to meet you. Right. So a complete reef. And then we had the best podcast bringing him down to size right and i've done this the times we can go through and, and i'll go back to the to uh you know how that plays out in everyday. but if anthony scaramucci believes that he is seven levels above you and then you get on a pause with him and then you feed into that and in fact you let him know he was wrong he's actually eight levels above you right a couple things happen and now we can get into clinical or cognitive psychology number one um when somebody believes they are more powerful or superior to you, right? They see you only um, at a very transactional, uh, a very transactionally. What can I get from this encounter, from this uh, transaction? So you transactionally, they do not see you as a whole person with a family and experiences and emotions. They see you at a very thin surface level. So, you know, I mean, you, Danny, are very handsome and, you know, tall and well-spoken, but the rest of us, you know, uh, we like people to appreciate some of the depth we have because we're not all, uh, um, you know, able to impress people with our surface value. So if people only see you transactionally at surface value. The third thing that happens is they take risks around you. They do not take with their peers. And that's the important thing. If somebody believes more powerful than you, they're more important than you. They have higher status than you and that you need to supplicate to them in order to get some resources. Um, they will take risks around you. They would not take with their peers. What are those risks, right? Uh, so they're, they're easy. You know, they are uh, taking phone calls, sending texts. Right. Oh, excuse me. I just take this. Um, what was your, you know, uh, what does your company do again? Right. No, I didn't, I didn't read the, um, I didn't read the prospectus. Can you just start me at the beginning? So not doing homework, taking phone calls, um, you know, phasing out, acting disinterested, not having a true engaging conversation, um, leaving. Um, um, and, and those are the kinds of risks they would not take if there were a Bank of America working on a $200 million construction loan. Right. They would not. So, so if, the, if the lender said, hey, we have a couple questions here uh, about the, the permitting process, they would not say, hey, hold on a second. This is my wife. I just got to call her and you know, make sure the kids are okay. <laughs> right? 
or like, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get a date for tonight. I'm sorry, just I, I have to do this one, you know, sweet. Or, um, you know, like, uh, yeah, sorry, what, what was that? I, I just I drifted off for a second. What do you? They are 100% taking zero risks in that meeting because the the you know the roles are reversed. So uh, you cannot allow people to have the high status position and believe that they are more important than you functionally because it creates a friction in terms of you being able to do a deal with them. So, so let's talk about some examples then, because this is all about framing, which is a big part of the book and social status. And a lot of the places I've worked and a lot of the people I know, they, they are they're not even got the swagger or the confidence of some of the people that you mentioned. They're nervous and they're going in and in their heart, they don't even feel like they are on the same level of the CEO of Coca-Cola, whatever, whoever they're pitching to. So how can someone at a seemingly low social status walk in and turn that around and how important is it to do so to win whatever we're pitching? Universe constants. There are some people that billionaires, and, va- and, and valet parking guys have common values around. So if you are talking to a billionaire, he can own, you know, the, 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 um, you know, the Boston uh, uh, Patriots, you know, the, the New England Patriots. Um, he can fly, have three different planes. He can be on the cover of Forbes three times in one year, right? And then there's you. You're, you've got three coffee shops in downtown Phoenix, right? And for some reason, somebody put you guys together right. and you're you know, asking him for $10 million to expand your coffee shop franchise. So um, you do not have more capital. You do not have more cachet. You do not have more experience. You do not have more staff. I mean, we can just continue running right. through the 10 or 15 things you don't have more of. You don't have as good looking wife. Um, you don't know as many celebrities, you don't have as many polls on your time, um, you don't have as many anything as much as everything's right. But what you what very likely you have that is better than the billionaire or the, the, the fund manager they're talking to is a better set of values. Humanistic, uncompromisable, um, not under debate values. And so in business, the, your value system is what you have to trade on in that conversation, right? And so one of the, the universal constants in value is time. Every business person knows the value of time. So watch this play out. What will the owner of the New England Patriots do when he comes to a call with you? The answer is he will be late. I've been on, you know, thousands of calls with people of higher status, more money, more credentials, uh, better businesses, and, and uh, you know, better everything than me. And the one thing that they always do is come late, yeah. right? And so what I learned to do over time is to say, hey, Jim, are you here for the 10.03 call? Because the 10 <laughs> o'clock call was a few minutes ago. Right. So I don't care what lowly position you occupy in life. You can say that, right? And that will instantly snap anybody because everybody understands the value of time. 
Now, do you do that just quickly to disrupt or to get attention or to create a new type of relationship, which is going to be more amenable to a deal? Right. New type of relationship. Um, I I have billionaires going, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I I know, like, it's so important to get on, you know, on time. We we um, you know, we have 30 ships with masks that are going to hospitals stuck out stuck out along uh, Long Island Harbor in the Los Angeles Harbor. Um, you know, I had to get a, a sign wet signature because they still do it the whole way and get it FedEx so those could be released and get to the hospitals. I'm so sorry, um, but still, I should not have been late to the call. Everybody understands the value of time, right? Everybody also understands the value of not talking about the weather. Oh, you want to know the weather? Fucking look it up on your phone, right? How's right. the weather out there? On the phone? All right. Everybody knows the value of uh, and I've just had this yesterday. Uh, you know, we're pitching one of our companies to um, a, a a venture group, right? They're on the phone, and the head of the firm is going blah 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 blah. I'm like, hey, Greg, I'm sorry, but like, I cannot fucking hear a thing you're you're saying. Is there any way we can like get you a microphone, order one on Amazon, redo this call? But like, the oh, it's just it's just too challenging to hear your questions. We want to answer them. Is there any way we can get you? some better equipment. I'm happy to buy it. You know, so, so there's some like being understood, being on time, um, not wasting time on a call, uh, having an agenda and ultimately listening to this. You're like, wow, I could never be that rude. I've heard that a million times. Right. Be that rude. I can't be you or what do you think somebody managing a billion dollar fund wants to have on a call? Right. He wants to be held accountable for his behavior, he wants to be on a call with a peer, and he wants to get into it, and he wants to know that he's in the hands of a professional. And he wants to know that he's going to be spoken in the lingua franca of his industry. Right. Right? And this is why uh, the beginning of all these calls by amateurs is kabuki theater. Right. It is just you, – you, you, if you are not managing a call to the Orenclaff prescription – you're, what you're doing is you feel like you're building rapport and relationship. What you're really doing is communicating to the experienced people that you are inexperienced. Right. Now, why don't they cut you off? Because they've learned over time that entrepreneurs and salespeople just don't take feedback very well and just <laughs> let you hang yourself with the rope that you have brought with you. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, if you want to role play, I'm happy to do it. But uh, I jump in, you know, I jump into those calls and, uh, you know, uh, the, the biggest thing. So so here's a tool. For Joe Bag of Donuts out there, if you're listening to this and you're a UPS truck driver, right, that's OK. We're going to put you in 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 uh, the peer group of billionaires right now with, I think, some status leveling relationship resetting tools. Number one is, hey, Danny, are you here for the 1005 podcast? We can start that one now. Like, that's it. Say with a smile, (laughs) but don't say just joking. Right. Time is not a joke. Right, exactly. You're not. I don't know. I figured out how to get here on time. Right. Um, Number two, stop saying sorry. I'm telling you, inexperienced people will say, please. Thank you. I'm excited and sorry. 
five to 15 times in the first five minutes. Right. Why? What you're doing is you are cementing your understanding of the status levels of that relationship, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, if you need to interrupt me, I'm, I'm going to take you through the presentation. If you need to interrupt me, no problem. No, motherfucker, do not interrupt me during my presentation. Why? Because I put 300 hours into it. Right. Like people see my presentations and they're like, oh, we tried to copy it. Great. Let's see it. What is this flaming piece of garbage? Right. Well, we, we copied your presentation. No, you sure you, you, you spent two hours on it. So you try to copy something that I did with 300 hours. We put two on two hours into it. Mm -hmm. well, well, like I'll show my decks, you know, you, I, I, I don't know, you know, um, at, at some point and I'll ask people, how much time do you think I have in this? Right. This deck that raised $20 million. And they'll go, you know, towers, 20 hours, three weeks, I'm 300 hours. I'm like, fuck. So until you put 300 hours, and, and by the way, I do this all the time. Right. You know, I have 60,000 hours of doing this, and I put 300 hours into it. The right. fuck did you do with five hours? Anyway, um, so, so um, that's the other thing, right? Hey, I put 300 hours into this presentation, or 30 hours, real time, right? Don't interrupt me. You know, I'm going to run you through this in six or seven minutes. You can get a basic understanding of what I'm doing. I think I'll land the plane on the big open questions. What's changing in the market? What's happening in our industry? What technology we're bringing to the table? Um, the, the why we're doing it? You know, what is our motivation? What skin in the game we have? What difficult problem we've solved? Why there's more demand than supply? And what is our jaw-dropping solution for the supply demand imbalance in our market and what are our economics, gross margin, net margin, who the fuck is doing this work over here at our company. I'm going to run you through all of that in like seven or eight minutes. And then we'll get into, you know, any, any confusion that we created on your side and see if our circles overlap. And if it makes sense to go forward, we'll find a way to go forward. You know, if we, uh, uh if this is, you know, the, the, the cul-de-sac or the end of the road, well, thank God we'll have found that out pretty early and we've saved every bunch of time. Sound good. I'll get into that's very different from, hey, I'm going to show you some slides and stop me if you have any questions. <laughs> Code for I haven't prepared very well. Right. If your audience is on a much higher status, but they arrive on time, and if you walk in with the right kind of attitude without saying, please, thank you, sorry, and you, you, you're, you're ready to lay all of this stuff out, do you Great. still need to disrupt somewhere to bring the statuses together? I feel like we're in a Vulcan mind meld. This is exactly what I want to talk about next, right? What I will do, and this is sort of a bit advanced level. I'll, Danny, I love you guys. Oh my God. Right. And so, so, but by the way, if you haven't read pitch anything, the main thesis of it is never be needy. Right. So you might be wondering now why I would say like, I love you guys. Oh my God. I've been really looking forward to this meeting, but actually really excited. I spent like dozens of hours changing stuff around. I'm really excited to present you guys. I think, like, you know, but I, ideally we'll get to the end of this and you guys, you know, will we'll be asking for my pager number and my fax number and we'll, we'll, we'll just, uh, uh, I'm so excited about this meeting. I might be rambling a bit. But I'm also concerned. As I went out and looked at your website, I kind of, I see things, you know, that you're saying in the media. And then I see the things you have on your website and the things you're actually doing with your products. And I can't square this circle. 
So I'm, I'm just trying to understand like why on your uh, homepage, you know, you say we're, we're founder friendly, you know, investment group, right? right. We're founder friendly, right? Um, we understand what it's like to be an entrepreneur, right? Except I know people who've come and talk to you. I know 10 people have come and talk to you and you've told them, hey, you're too early for us. So I love you guys. I want to do a deal. But on the other hand, it feels like there's some bait and switch or clickbait or some lack of community. So I want to show you what we have, but I do want to clear up, um, you know, what you're saying and what you're doing and get a better understanding of who you really are. And that's the key. I want to understand who you really are. When somebody believes that you're confused about their integrity and their, their true moral center, right? They will be deeply connected to um, being in the conversation and wanting to share with you that they really do have a high integrity position. And I have done this at that. And there's always something you can look at somebody's website. You can see right. what they're saying and doing, what they're supposed to be. And you can always find a gap and you don't have to be uh, aggressive about it. You could say, I'd, at some point, as much as I'm, I'm excited about this, I got to f- fill in the gap here because I'm confused about what you guys are really up to. So let me, let me extend this one for a lot of people come and say, hey, we've been working on – they come to me and they say, we've been working on this deal for six weeks or four weeks or three months with the company, right? Everybody's signed off on it. It's like the final meeting, right? And the, the, the big boss – out of nowhere shows up. Every deal has a final boss. So you know the fight, like you're fighting, yeah. you know, and you think you're winning, World Combat, right? And you're right. almost like cleared the level. Like the final boss comes out, he's got six arms, you know, he's throwing fireballs and he like, he literally like kills his own guy that you're fighting. <laughs> you know, he can step in front of you right. and he's like, boom. And you, you're like nine guys die immediately. Right. And you're like, what the, what just happened? Like, oh, it's a final boss. So right. in every deal has a final boss come out and the final boss comes out and goes, yeah, you know, um, I'm hearing good things about this and, you know, you know, heard good things, want to learn a little bit more. You're like, what the fuck? Learn a little bit more. Like we're, we've, like we have executed binding LOIs. What right. do you mean you want to learn a little bit more? He's like, you know, to, and I would like to take a little more look at this and, um, you know, we'd want to see a 15 or 20%, you know, lower price compared to you know, what else we're seeing in the market, you know, before we could go ahead with the deal. So many, if you haven't encountered that, then I, you know, you're just haven't been to enough business close. So does that, does that sound familiar? That scenario? It happens all the time. And, and what I hate to see, but what happens all the time in response is that the people pitching go, well, he's obviously, you know, we're through to the final boss. So let's pat ourselves on the back for that. And he's obviously mm-hmm. interested. All we need to do, we now need to negotiate, which means we need to lower all of our prices. And then he'll say, yes. So you know what, guys? It's the only way we're right. going to win this. So, so let's do it. So watch this. So Danny, you are, you are the final boss. You come in um, and uh, give, us, give us the final boss script. Let me try and deal with you. Go ahead. Hey, Aaron, I've seen the pitch and I thought you guys were pretty good, but I've got a few concerns and especially around the price, which isn't going to work for us. You're going to need to go away and cut your teeth on this a little further. Sure, sure. So, um, listen, uh, you know, we've been working 
with your team. You know, this is the seventh meeting. We've been doing this for 90 days where we actually have a binding LOI in place, which was fine. I mean, you know, all that. Um, but, but I think what's interesting on my side, I know with my team, so I got my financial analyst, I have our technical guy, I have our lead sales guy. I'm head of the department. You're talking like four guys with more than 15 hours each into this agreement. So I've probably got $35,000, $40,000 invested in here. You yourself have got, you know, these guys have spent more on it because you've had to evaluate our proposals. We have proposals in. You yourself have twenty, thirty thousand dollars you know, even if you're paying these guys below market. So collectively, we have sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 into coming to this point and a lot of time. And you're just showing up and we're hearing, never seen you before, never heard your name before, and you're just showing up here. So listen, this is one of two things. Right. One is, um, hey, Oren, just and you can just tell me, hey, Oren, like this negotiation tactic, I know it's shitty, but it works for us. Like we come in at the last minute, I come in, I'm the final boss, I stomp around, nobody's seen me, I go take 20% off, and this works. Like I can ascribe millions of dollars of profit to this tactic, right? But really, you know, it's it's a tactic. Or, which is fine, just tell me what it is, you know, we'll figure out some compromise and go for it. Or this is who you really are. You sucker us into spending $35,000 to get to multiple stages of agreements. All your people have signed off on it, and you walk in at the last minute and want to go back to day two. And if this is, if you, and it's fine, just say, Oren, my name is Danny, and this is who we are, and this is how we work. And I will leave here. Just give me a to go lid for my coffee. Right. I will happily leave here and you and the other vendors in the market that you love so much can go be miserable together. But just let me know negotiation tactic or this is who we really are. And you're going to see this all the time. So question for me, what it's very bold to say that. I think people listening to this will think no way could I ever say that. And, and from your experience, I know that you're going to tell me that it works and I absolutely believe you, but what is the well, kind of reaction from these high status, potentially fragile ego? It, I think it's a different frame on it. Think about this. If somebody says to you, this is how we behave. We come in at the last minute. We ask you to shave your price. One, you will, this is not a one-time behavior. Number two, if it's coming from the head, it's an institutional behavior. He's teaching all the direct reports and thereby the people below them to behave in this way. So you have to say to yourself, I'm going to see this every day of this relationship, mm. this behavior in some other form. It's not good enough. We need a lower price. Um, it needs to be delivered earlier. You were late. So we're taking liquidated damages, whatever it is, right? And so you are not, it is not a gambit. You're actually asking right. somebody, right? Um, so if this, take it down to a relationship, right? And, uh, and, and um, you know, you're, you're dating somebody and I haven't dated in, in many years. So I might be, might be clueless, but, you know, wonderful wife. Kid. But um, if, I, if I pull myself back to those and, and somebody, um, you know, comes in and says, um, you know, at the, at the last minute, you have a trip planned, right? And, and they come in and maybe it's a month 
old relationship. You have a trip planned out to Catalina and you've bought the tickets and everything. And they come back and they go, hey, I forgot it's my grandfather's birthday. You know, I have to go. Let's do it some other time. Right. Okay. So just take in that kind of situation. Um, not unforgivable, but it would be a good time to say, hey, I'd love to just see, is this like a one-time thing? Right? Like we plan this thing out. Like what's really going on here? Right? Am I going to be seeing this? Uh, like, do you understand the impact of this? Am I going to be seeing this over and over again? Like, yeah. tell me a little bit more. Right? And so what you're doing is you're curious about this behavior. Because if this is truly a behavior you're going to have to live with, it's not worth it. Let them go. You know, you, you had me at this is not a gambit because that's what people confuse this with. We're not using a tactic to try and eventually win a deal. We're saying, hang on, what are our boundaries for future work as well as the work that we could potentially do with you now, right? Correct. So if you don't, this is really like, if you come into one of my programs, the first thing we try and help you understand is without boundaries and without values, you will continue to be manipulated mm. in a good way, no, not in a, not in a, um, you know, there's nobody has a black book of manipulation tactics, right? But the, the, um, the buyer has a codex, which says you never get anything you don't ask for, right? If right. I, if I see this, I'm going to continue pressing on it. If there's no boundary, I'm going to keep pushing on and see how far I can go. And so with all the behaviors that you think are rapport, all of the behaviors you think are showing, you know, how flexible and hardworking and pliable and amenable you are, are just perception perceived on the other side as you don't have clear boundaries. Mm. And so if you come in and you say, hey, um, this has bounced up against one of my value systems, one of my boundaries, which is I do not fucking get retreated when everything is agreed to by somebody I've never met. Right. So let's fear the conversation slightly. This works if your prospect, let's call them, <clears throat> sees the value in your proposal or your pitch. If actually they're looking for the cheapest, then a competitor might bow down to whatever tactic and they will say, you know, whatever, go screw yourself. They're They'd said they'll go 20% cheaper when I told them to. So how Correct. do we start to create this sense of we are a higher value proposition than our competitors? Thinking you have to be careful there, um, but, I, but I think it goes like this. You know, if you guys truly want the uh, bottom line price because your board of directors, your CEO has said, go get five bids, right? Get me the best pricing and we'll evaluate that. Let me do a favor here. Right. I want to introduce you to my friend over at Jeffries. They're a good firm. They'll give you the lowest price. Let me send you over there. Right. Okay. Uh, just, just sit, just, but you have to tell me, hey, Orrin, we want the lowest possible price because that's not us. If you want the Costco version, right? Just say we want the Costco version, right? We want, we want to use our Costco card. We want a discount. And we just, we're just trying to get a TV that lasts for 12 months. That's all we're expecting out of it. And we just want to pay the lowest price. But just tell me that, right? And then I'll help you get what you want because I know everybody in the industry, right? On the other hand, 
if you want Goldman Sachs, right? Just say, hey, you know what? Like a lot of people want the Goldman Sachs because they like to tell their wife, hey, we're working with Goldman Sachs. <laughs> they like to tell the directors, ah, you know, like we got Goldman Sachs. But honestly, Danny, really, I mean, who the fuck do you think a Goldman Sachs works on this deal? Right. Is they graduated from Stanford three months ago, right? They were interns, showed some promise, and they got stuck on your deal. There is no real 10-year experienced partner at Goldman Sachs that wants your shitty little, and I've said this to CEOs, your shitty little $50 million deal. Of course, great company. I love what you do. Value proposition is great. You know, great operating margins, great, you know, position, love your IP. But really, it's a $50 million, you know, 20% year-over-year growth company. There's literally no one at Goldman Sachs who wants to work on this deal, right? It is a, it, will sales take it in? Sure, Right. But for the people working on it, it's a punishment. They don't want to be doing it, right? The, the the success fees on your deal that have to be spread around all kinds of people is the uh, uh, the closing party on a real deal, right? right. In terms of right. So you tell me, uh, right? Or we just want the name brand firm. We want Goldman Sachs. I have a I have a good buddy, a managing director. I will throw you over there. I don't want to be anywhere that we're not wanting. If you just want the Costco version, but like what we do and what's different about us between the other firms, you know, you go out and get bids, right? That you want to know what's different? Go ahead, ask me what's different. What's different? Nothing. We all do the same thing. Right. Okay. The, the, we all do the exact same thing. What the fuck do you think is going on out here? Like literally when I was, when I worked in IP, um, my job was to go around to universities, Lawrence Livermore, UCLA, uh, the Jet Propulsion Lab, and look at uh, IP that was that's that's um, coming out of technology transfer office, like real hard science. And I remember going to the Jet Propulsion Center, being in the basement with a guy who had a low light camera, right? And and uh, he had a technology that could see further into space than any other human has ever seen into space. And like Professor Zikablaka works, you know, um, <laughs> it's amazing. Like, how does it feel to be like the only person with a camera that that is seen into the cosmos further than any other you know human? Like, just to be alone and and have the knowledge that you alone in the human race are like occupying that position. He goes, "Oh, what are you talking about? There's 27 of us, right? We're at you know all these leading universities. Right? We all get together in Slovenia twice a year, right? So even something like the lowest right. light camera." in the cosmos has 27 other people have like basically the same thing no fucking way that you have anything that's that differentiated from other SaaS software professional services legal um dog food you know automotive there's just so many shades today of everything so what's different between us and the other people who do this nothing we all do the same thing right so in this case you know whether it's dog food, whether it's legal legal services, I'm not in the legal industry at all, Le right? We review your case. We we assign some junior people on it to review the law. Um, we see the risks. We look at the judge. You know who's likely to have the case. We get our partners on it. We build thirteen hundred dollars an hour. Um, uh, you know, for the senior partners, we come up with a strategy. We run that strategy by you, and if you're into it. You budget for it, give us a retainer, and we go out and we try and protect your interests in the market. That's what we do. You know who else does this? 
Moss Adams, Denton's, Mince Levin, uh, the guy, the law firm between the 7-Eleven and the liquor store by the sushi place, uh, you know, out by the sports arena. That guy also does it. So the difference between us and the other people is us. We really do it. Mm. We are right size. We have, we have the, you get the experienced people who really know how to do it. Our value system, our commitment, the size we are relative to the deal you need and our passion around doing this right is what we have. If those things aren't meaningful to you, then you're at the wrong place. And now in an ideal world, we shouldn't have ever gotten to the point where we have to have those discussions anyway. We should have throughout the pitch created an emotional connection so that they're subconsciously thinking, I don't care what your price is. I don't really understand your product, but I want you, Oren or Danny. So how do we create that powerful emotional connection right from the off when we're pitching? Is status and um, non-needings. Right. Right. We're super busy. Glad I could take the meeting. I set it for an hour. If we can hit it in 58 and a half minutes, that would be amazing. That would let me get a quick call into my wife before I head off to the next meeting. But I think there's a lot we can accomplish here in the hour we have. I don't know if we're smart or if we're lucky, but we're just super busy today. You know, at this point in time of our business and we get to, um, for the first time in the history of our company, we get to be choosy about who we work with. So setting that frame in the first few seconds is super important. Non-neediness, and we're choosy about who we work with. Second um, is having a pitch that is, uh, follows the framework of how buyers buy, not how sellers sell. Sellers like to sell how they like to sell, and they think about, um, but, but you don't, sellers don't have a good visualization inherently or theory of mind of what is happening in the buyer's mind. Mm. So sellers like to get people excited about their product, their value proposition, and their features and benefits. Buyers like to know what is changing that would um, give me some meaning about why I should decide now. What is changing in the market and uh, so, so the way to get somebody to come in now is um, here's what's changing dramatically. So, for example, in California, the grid fails at 51 gigawatts. That has been manageable in past years. And we get brownouts and blackouts, and it's mainly in the summer, right? But last year, they added a million uh, electric vehicles. And those electric vehicles pushed the grid to the limit faster and further than it's ever been done before. Right. Well, thank God that's all stabilized, except for no, it's not. They're adding 15 million electric vehicles to California this year. And the grid does not have anything more than 51 gigawatts. And ever, if, um, if you were, if you were not happy about last summer, well, this summer you're moving to Hell Island. That's what's changing. Right. Uh, and then, what sellers need to know is there'll be winners and losers because of this change. So consumers and small businesses who navigate 
today, you know, get systems into their house and make them grid independent from the California energy system are going to have normal lives and continue, um, you know, being able to do laundry and charge their cars and get to hockey practices and go to school. And people, the losers are people who are A, unaware of this, or B, don't have the resources to get grid independent. And they are going to see dramatic changes in their lives. Their kids are not going to get to school on time. Their cars are not going to work. Their jobs are going to suffer. The internet is not going to be on. And, you know, imagine, okay, so everybody can miss a meeting once, right? But imagine missing 20 meetings, the kid missing 15 soccer practices, um, the, the um, you know, not getting, uh, sending off reports and they never arriving because the internet is done, not doing laundry, and just generally being suffering with the masses. So there'll be winners and losers this coming summer, right? And then... The next thing is for buyers to understand is there is an imbalance in supply and demand. There is more demand today than there is supply for energy, for SaaS services, for counting systems, right. for protein powder, for, you know, clean, um, um, you know, organic fish, for grain, for oil, right? So whatever it is. So really everybody's been indoctrinated in this problem solution, right? Which I think is boring for buyers to hear today. It is really about there is more supply than demand. And then when all of that is covered, then you drop in your jaw-dropping solution. And I think that's the answer to the question you had. How do we make people in that meeting fall in love with us? And if you go through that process, then people are just, they don't know why, right? But they just, they just get sucked into your vortex. They can't see the mechanics of it. It's a great story. They don't see the plot lines. And they're just like, I love this, right? right? And so- then I think we can, you know, we're, we're, we're turning the corner on time here. And then we can use the Oren Clav close, which right. is the magical of all time. Here's the pickup line that secures the final desire to work together at that meeting that I just described to you. And that pickup line is this. Danny, I don't know. What should we be doing together? And that's the close. Right. What kind of, what are the most common answers to that question in real life, in your experience? When can we get started? Right. I would say eight out of 10 times. Right. If you, if you cover those bases in the way that I've done it, and if you have high status going in and there's a time constraint and you've provided a presentation you've obviously um, uh, organized and worked on, and you stay away from features and benefits, problem, solution, and you focus on supply, demand, jaw-dropping solution, winners and losers, what's changing economically, then you, you go through the product. And so now the product can be a very short, you know, less than three-minute presentation on product, features, value proposition, how it works. And you just end up um, with some economics, who the team is, you know, what, um, um, you know, maybe some credentials or, or, or um you know, uh, social, social proof. And then just say, Danny, what should we be doing together? You tell me. And giving that autonomy over. Right. The time I hear, when can we get started? Can we see some paperwork? Right. And then I will say, go ahead, go ahead. So um, ask me, when can we get started? Uh, can I see some paperwork? When can we get started? Uh, let me see some paperwork. Mm, no, 
Like, like honestly, Danny, like, oh, let me see some paperwork. Like, I mean, we're super busy and what we do is very high sticks, right? We spend a ton of time together. Like what we do is dead serious. We're the best in the world to do it. And we have limited capacity to, to let, you know, to do it for other people. And you're like, yeah, well, maybe we could do that just paperwork. Like what I need to hear for my investment in you is, Orin, I love this. The way you do this is important to me. I think we're in absolute Vulcan mind alignment, and I'm excited about what we're going to create together. So if you could say some version of that to me, I'll invest some more time to write it all down, and we'll get it over to you, and we'll get this thing uh, you know, unless you find some way to opt out, like um, um, because the things I've said don't show up in the paperwork, or you know we can't meet timeline, or the budget change, or whatever. But um, what I want to hear is I'm in. I love what we talked about today. Let's go make this happen. If you can say that to me, then I'll invest more time in making it happen for you. And I'm guessing the reason that you get them to say it is because that makes it almost impossible to change their minds and come back from, right? It's not a tactic. Right. It's not that that is not the goal. Okay. The goal is most of the people listening to this and you like the stuff we do is so fucking hard yeah. to deliver and execute and contract. And like, yeah, like send me over a proposal. Like, let's do it. Fuck off. Like, no, you know, that is not going to stick. I'm not doing it. Like, let's hug it out. Let's, you know, I, I was, you know, trying to get physical with people like, Let's let's hold a hug for thirty right. seconds. Let you know we can't do it with HB and everything, but let's get a let's get a pen, let's get a knife, an exacto knife, and and draw some blood, right? Like, do you realize how hard I have to work on this to make this happen for you? Yeah. Listen, Danny, I cannot work harder on your company than you will. If you're like, yeah, I don't know, send over a proposal, let's make it happen. Like, honestly, fuck off. Like, yeah. I'm not doing it, right? Just we're, we're Navy SEALs. We got a log. That log is called the problem you created, right? Now I have to come here with all my muscles and tattoos and, and you know, breath holding experience and run down the beach, right? And you, you, but you have to hold up or at least attempt to your end of the log. Right. I can't carry that whole thing. And I don't have the upside. It's your company. You have the equity. You have the, you know, you get paid. I'm, we're going to make, I don't know, maybe nothing. Right? Maybe we'll make negative twenty thousand dollars on this, depending on how it all works out. For sure, we're not going to make thirty million. Right. But if we do our job correctly, you know, and solve the problems that you created for your business, right? You have the possibility of getting a promotion, making, you know, getting stock options, or you know, if you're the CEO, making thirty million. Like my stakes are not thirty million dollars. I should not be more excited about doing this than you are. I didn't right. create this problem. Right. You want to get after it? You want to think about it? It's totally up to you. Tell me this. What advice would you give 25-year-old Oren? Oh, Jesus. Give up. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> I Truthfully, best advice I would give myself is, is um, understanding the true success factor of early stage entrepreneurial efforts. 
because you feel like you have the the illusion of you know you start a software company you start right um but the the um venture firms you know need to put out 20 or 30 investments at the early stage to get one success of alpha you cannot start 20 firms right so really start fast if you're an entrepreneur and you're in a capital efficient business model which is really usually leverages technology start faster disconnect your ego from it get good at raising capital and kill fast starting something and spending three or four years in it right because it's your vision um doesn't give you enough optionality in deals to be successful it's right you're not going to hear entrepreneur even the founder of dropbox it was like it's you know, seventh thing that he started. Right. Paul Graham from Y Combinator. He goes, I don't fucking know. I just put out as many $25,000 chunks as I can and hope that some baby turtles reach the ocean, right? So, hey, uh, young 25-year-old Orrin Claff, uh, um, get rid of the illusion of control, start things faster, learn how to speak the lingua franca of finance, don't raise venture capital, raise small checks, $100,000, $75,000, $150,000 check, and kill things faster. You do not have the time to spend three or four years in deals, right? Because then 12 years go by and you've been in three deals, you know, when you probably should have been in 20 or 30 to really get an alpha. So anyway, not intending to be, uh, you know, that's not really um, – you know, love thyself. You know, <laughs> Pretty um, practical of, advice of, for young Oren there. Practical yeah. advice for young Oren. Um, I, you know, uh, that's the thing is learn the language of money yeah. much earlier and get into more deals more quickly until something works. You are not a venture capital firm. Don't pretend that you are. Right. Well, I think that's good advice and can go into many different aspects of it people's lives who are listening to this and for those listening if you haven't read them read pitch anything read flip the script go to pitchanything.com. is that where you want to send people uh you can go uh go to pitchanything.com. you can go to orclaff.com and there will be many roads to happiness from there fantastic oren you're a legend i appreciate your time so much thank you for being on the show Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I know I do. Uh, I did did 99% of the talking. The next time, listen. This has been another episode of Pitch Masters. Go to pitchguy.co.uk for updates and information or search for Pitch Guy on social media for regular videos on sales, psychology, storytelling, creativity, and much more. <laughs>